Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Harry and Meghan buy the rights to a best-selling book while their YouTube critics announce a mock privacy tour and Meghan's birthday coincides with a PR fight back. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Now, we are into the royal sleepy season. There is not a huge amount going on in terms of official jobs, but there is still plenty to talk about, starting with a new project that Harry and Meghan have signed, which they clearly hope is going to blow away all of the kind of disappointment of the first half of 2023. So they have acquired the rights to a best-selling book called Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. Now, this was released back in May, and it debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. It's not her debut. She's written a book before, which was hugely successful, too. Um, this is obviously, a uh, so far, a hugely successful commercial romance novel. And there are some really big echoes of Harry and Meghan's own lives in the themes, and the, well, certainly the location is near Toronto, which is obviously where um, Meghan lived when she was filming Suits. So the main character is a woman called Fern, and she's coming to terms with the death of her mother. So that obviously kind of chimes with Prince Harry's life being basically defined by the death of Princess Diana. Um, Fern also, for what it's worth, inherits the family business, which is a resort that her mother ran. Her mother was a, a kind of very strong uh, personality and figure who uh, really kind of marshaled this business. Um, in reality, though, while some of those themes and kind of uh, logistics do feel like they have a huge connection, to Harry and Meghan's story and that I have a feeling that might be very prominent in the marketing I don't actually think the book feels that much like it is a retelling of Harry and Meghan's story at all and I think that's actually probably a good thing I think that audiences are kind of done with Harry and Meghan talking about the past all the time and if they tried to do it through the prism of fiction that would certainly be a novel change of tactic and change of stance and change of slant. But in reality, if it was still just them talking about the same subjects over and over again, I still actually think that audiences would uh, be tired of it. So I'm quite pleased that the book, the characters in the book feel very different. Their kind of setting really is very different. And the intrigue comes from a very different place. So this book's told over two time periods, 10 years apart. It's one of those kind of then and now type setups where you jump about from chapter to chapter um, and it's about a woman with secrets uh, she used to be the kind of talk of all the gossipers in her high school community back when she was a teenager um, but it's also about frustrated love so she had you know one incredible day with this man Will in the past bit and then was supposed to meet up with him one year on for a kind of second date and she showed up and he didn't and then one day in the present all these years later he walks back into her life as she's trying to take over the running of this hotel following the death of her mother um so you know even just from that 
alone clearly it's not ringing a huge load of royal bells here um not to me anyway so you know there's every chance that it will appear in the marketing and they will make the themes of like the loss of a parent really prominent in order to draw people in because let's be honest the kind of royal beef and the kind of you know the the royal history was a commercial selling point for harry and Meghan with some of their past projects but it just didn't necessarily deliver in the final execution of the netflix show for example and some of the swipes at harry's family and spare were hugely reputationally damaging so if you do see it in you know marketing of this project i would just say reserve judgment a little bit and wait and see what it turns out to be like But, you know, it's exciting, I think, that they are potentially moving on and starting to do different things. um, It sounds like maybe they've heeded all the warnings and realised that, you know, the dishing of royal dirt, while it can draw in huge audiences, doesn't actually necessarily do them any favours in the long run. Um, And that, you know, actually they need to be reborn. They need to become something new and different to what they were when they were working royals. Um, Of course, just a note of caution, just because a book was successful or wasn't even a great book does not necessarily mean it will work on screen. Uh, The execution is down to them and it's down to their production company and whoever they get to work on it. And the, uh, you know, they have some flexibility there because they don't have to be totally faithful to the original book. You know, adaptations come in different forms. Some are, you know, really faithful to the original work, especially if there's a really big and energetic community, you know, fan community behind a book. Um, the, the filmmakers obviously feel under more pressure to kind of like please them. So it don't go, so it's received as a success. But if a book is, you know, less kind of tied to a community, there really is quite a lot of leeway to do something very different. A lot of flexibility to play around with character, to play around with plot, even to play around with location, to take the themes and the structure uh, and the kind of concept, the pitch, but to do just do it in your own way, do something slightly different with it. Um, I've even heard stories that, you know, some adaptations were written purely of kind of plot outlines and plot structures and things like that with the scriptwriters not actually even reading the original book. I'm sure that's not what's happening here and Harry and Meghan will have read it and will have fallen in love with it and that's why they're doing it. But I guess the point I'm making is it could wind up feeling slightly different to the way that the book feels. So yeah, I mean, if this is a success and they can make it work, it could be a whole new lease of life for them. They've so far been caught between the fact that you know people want the royal bombshells and they want the explosive drama of the royal soap opera, but it's also this kind of huge reputational binfire for them because it just makes them look like they're constantly at Harry's family, including in the aftermath of Prince Philip's death and also the Queen's death in September. So it's really important to leave that behind. But then some of their other projects, like Live to Lead, which was their less discussed Netflix show released in December, just really fell quite flat. It didn't really move the dial or move the needle at all. Um, It was very worthy. It kind of pitched them in the right way, tied them to the idea of leadership, which is what, you know, what the old successful positive brand was. But it, it just feels like it's destined to be lost to history because it didn't really ruffle any feathers. Nobody really took any notice of it. Fiction offers them the opportunity to be really dramatic and captivating 
and uh, you know, literally, you know, give people a literal soap opera instead of the royal soap opera, um, but without actually having to market themselves directly, without having to to make themselves the selling point. And you know, it's possible to build an inc- entire career out of adaptations. Stanley Kubrick, for example, uh, I think every one of his films was an adaptation. He was a voracious reader. Um, so if if they're successful here, they could just you know spend their lives reading, which is a lovely thing to do. And and pick out the best and um, most interesting stories to adapt for the screen. Um, And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, But first of all, just a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your favourite shows. And when I'm back, a royal row about digital media and stalking. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, one big recurring theme in Harry and Meghan's story for the last few years has been social media, uh, the criticism, whether it's fair, whether it isn't, where the line is basically between legitimate critique and unacceptable trolling and hate and all the rest of it. So recently, on Meghan's birthday, and we'll talk more about her birthday later, but some YouTubers got together to do a live event where, seemingly off the cuff, they decided they would stage a protest against Harry and Meghan outside their house in Montecito. So this is a guy, uh, Andy Signor. He does appear in the news sometimes. Some people might know who he is. He created Honest Trailers in the past, and he now runs a YouTube channel called Popcorn Planet, which has a kind of royal-specific spin-off, which is called Popcorn Palace. Also, everybody might remember the South Park episode with the Worldwide Privacy Tour, where, you know, the Prince and Princess of Canada go on TV and protest all over the world saying they want their privacy, but also getting loads of attention on themselves. So Andy Signor um, wanted to kind of recreate this protest with placards and megaphones on a tour bus, which he was going to uh, hire and drive to Montecito uh, out to Harry and Meghan's house, or so he said on his YouTube channel. Anyway, well... That created a massive backlash on social media and there were allegations of stalking, harassment, there was a whole load of anger against him and in the midst of it, people were starting to post pictures of his kids and saying they would come to his house and hand out posters around like his children's school relating to you know allegations of sexual misconduct that were made against him in a previous place of work. 
Now, obviously, um, as you can tell, this is already escalating quite fast. And it then gets to the point where, where Signal starts saying, well, he lives in Florida. And so he said, I carry and I will stand my ground. So let's just pause there and say, maybe nobody should go to anybody's home. If you're listening and you were planning anything, please just don't get yourself shot. And if you're planning to protest at Harry Meng's house, honestly, like just spend your time and money on more constructive things. Have a spa weekend go away somewhere with a pool to a nice hotel treat yourself to the breakfast enjoy your life Uh, but back to the story um, this pack comes back to that crucial question in the social media age which is we or anyone in the public eye and this includes me you know you get people saying horrible things online and like it feels like it's kind of just nonsense and you can just ignore it but then there is that just slight element of doubt like what if one of these people took this insanity offline into real life and started just and just did something crazy and i think what people ordinary people sometimes forget is that like famous people don't know when you're joking and when you're genuinely bonkers because they don't know you and they don't know what you're capable of or what you might do but what they 100% don't want is you turning up outside their house (laughs) because if you do they're going to start thinking oh 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 this person was one of the bonkers ones and now they've taken it into real life. And so that that's kind of what lies at the heart of this whole drama, which mo- like mostly played out on social media, um, both sides of it, really. But that's the key thing is people say insanity online, everything under the sun from Megan faked her pregnancy to, you know, absurd divorce rumors, like nonsense at all members of the royal family. It's not just Harry and Meghan, it's William and Kate as well, for sure. But the key thing is, if it is online only, you kind of can ignore it. The big fear is it comes offline and it becomes real life and it's on your doorstep. So, you know, Signal may well have felt that he was simply just recreating the kind of pranks that I saw on TV when I was growing up through my teenage years. I know there was this one comedian, he would go down to the red carpet and he'd just like go up to celebrities and insult them on camera and uh, then film their reactions. And like, that was a funny thing that was on TV. Um, But this is a different day and age now because of social media, social media is the game changer it changes everything uh so you know the last few years in particular have made it really clear that of all the royals and all the celebrities harry and Meghan are very sensitive about this kind of thing and it's clearly not going to go down well with them uh megan said in 2020 she went on the teenager therapy podcast and she said she was one of the most trolled people in 2019 that it was almost unsurvivable so they are not your kind of water off a duck's back kind of people they are the people who take it seriously who get upset about it and they're just not the people to prank basically so christopher boozy who some of you may know already he was certainly in harry and megan's netflix documentary he created a company called bot sentinel it's a data analysis firm and it's done a lot of research in the past into harry and megan and kind of like online negativity towards them Now, he told me he thinks genuinely that they should get a restraining order, they should get their lawyers involved, they should go legal. Um, And uh, Andy Signor himself told me over email that he urged his viewers not to harass anyone. He said he only wanted to drive by for a photo op like any kind of celebrity tour bus thing and then off he would go. 
But clearly, you know, he did not like getting a taste of his own medicine. And I'm not condoning anything that anybody was suggesting they were going to do. But clearly, he did not want the online abuse that he was getting to turn up on his doorstep either. Um, And I think, you know, apart from just the basic principle that online discussions can just go off the deep end into wild conspiracy theories or fixated hatreds, maybe maybe the real lesson here for online communities is to just stay online because you might, might not realise it, but that person, that celebrity whose house you're going up to, they might have had any number of death threats against them recently. They could have had any kind of security incidents at their house recently. And you just don't know what's going to be going through their head when you pitch up thinking that it's just a joke. Um... And, you know, there's signals saying he he planned to reach for his gun. Um, So when people do stupid things, there can be stupid outcomes that follow and not necessarily the ones that they were planning. And on that note, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston and you will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. When I'm back, Meghan Markle has celebrated her 42nd birthday. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Now, Megan turned 42 on August the 4th. The day before, she went with Harry out for dinner with uh, a friend, a guy called Matt Cohen, who's the husband of Heather Dorak, one of her one of her old friends. Um, and they were photographed at a nice, plush-looking restaurant in Montecito. So that's no doubt a lovely time for them. There were no birthday wishes from the royal family, though, on social media, which is different to past years. So the line from the palace here is that only working royals get birthday wishes. But um, that would certainly be a new rule in the era of King Charles III because there were birthday wishes for Meghan on the royal social channels in previous years. Um, Harry and Meghan also seemed to have a bit of a publicity drive, which wasn't explicitly tied to Meghan's birthday, but it did come a couple of days before. So there's that kind of timing there. Uh, Meghan and Harry were on the cover of People magazine, and this kind of felt like a bit of an answer to a lot of the gossip and rumour that had been popping up all over the place suggesting they were getting a divorce, or parts of it did anyway. And there were also parts of it that felt like a clap back to the kind of collapse of their Spotify deal, and I think that's possibly the most interesting bit of it, but I'm going to talk about that later. Um, So, this is uh, kind of, you know, the divorce rumours, I suppose, are classic social media. I just talked earlier about the way that people sometimes go off the deep end. And what I think really happened here was everybody knew they'd had like this big kind of reputational catastrophe. Then Me- Meghan and Harry seemed to be doing slightly different things with their careers. Meghan signed solo with a big talent agency while Harry was off fighting his court cases. And then in the vacuum where they were out of the, out the spotlight for a while and out of the public eye for a while people just filled that vacuum of speculation which does have a bitter irony to it because i think a lot of these people are the same people who constantly tell them to 
you know, shut up and go away and stop talking all the time. But there we are. Um, Now, for the record, there is no actual evidence of any marital woe between them. And they looked very cozy with each other in a video they shot for the Responsible Technology Youth Power Fund. Now, this is an initiative that their Archwell Foundation has been working with and it announced a whole load of grants for young people and organizations to kind of make work making technology better for the future um, so it doesn't have such a negative impact on young people in a nutshell. Um, now, they appear to, to have given People magazine exclusive access to some of these recipients and this big announcement as part of this cover story on Harry and Meghan's comeback. And the fact that they did that seemingly officially does make all of the other stuff that went into that cover story all the more interesting. So back in 2021, we had people splashing on Prince Harry twice in as many months. Um, so this is when he, he was going promoting Earthshot. It was going out to America. It was the second Earthshot Prize Awards. And so he was, I think it was, uh, if I recall correctly, it was October and November. The first one was written by Robert Lacey, the acclaimed historian. And the second one, William actually wrote an essay himself for people, which went on the cover too. Meanwhile, Megan in 2022, she was working with the likes of Variety and New York Magazine's The Cut. And, you know, this, that was when she was riding high doing her podcast before the big implosion of January 2023. Um, now, though, they're kind of a little bit more on the ropes. They've got to fight back from the big wave of negative uh, reputational collapse that they had after Harry's book came out. And they're back on the cover of People magazine. Um, it's a really safe place for a celebrity to cover People magazine because they are almost never negative about the people they work with. Um, and it's not the first time that a Megan PR fight back has taken place in People. So back in February 2019, five of Megan's friends gave anonymous interviews defending her to People. So to give a little bit of the timeline... Negative stories about Meghan started to appear in British newspapers, clearly leaked from the palace in kind of uh, November, December 2018. Then January 2019, she told Harry she was experiencing suicidal thoughts. And then in February 2019, people ran this cover story with interviews, anonymous interviews with five of her friends. Meghan told a lawsuit some years later that she did not authorise those interviews and had nothing to do with it, basically. So now we're back again at people and uh, we're back with a PR fight back. And two things struck me. One... Yes, the coverage inside was hugely positive. The quotes were all upbeat, all about the comeback. But the cover line was a lot less positive. The cover line was under pressure and very much presenting it that, you know, Harry and Meghan were sort of fighting for their survival, I suppose, which I think is true and I think it's fair. But it's also not exactly the narrative that gets the Sussexes out out of the corner that they're in. You know, that's the exact narrative they want to counter. They want to kind of show that they, you know, they're back on the up. And the cover line shows them as being kind of like still on the down. Um, but then also there was a quote from an anonymous source saying that they indicating or in, implying that they were set up to fail by Spotify, that they weren't given enough support. And now I don't know who this person is because they're quoted anonymously. Maybe they're just a contact of people and nothing to do with the Sussexes. Um, but if that 
is an accurate reflection of Meghan Harry's perspective, then I do slightly put my head in my hands. I think the big narrative from the last year or so has basically been that Harry has spent a lot of time blaming other people for things and have spent very little time owning their own mistakes. I think Harry owns some of, in his book, owns some of his past mistakes from way back in the day before he met Meghan, but I don't think there's really any owning of their mistakes as a couple at all. Um, and so, you know, you compare their situation at, pot, at Spotify to an average podcaster starting out. You know, Megan has access to an A-list contacts book. She booked Serena Williams as her first guest because Serena's a friend of hers. Other celebrity guests on the show gushed about how excited they were to work with her and to meet her. And obviously they knew who she was predominantly because of her status as a royal, maybe partly suits as well. Uh, and then there's the money, you know, getting a massive contract with huge amounts of money attached to it gives you the reassurance or gives them the reassurance that they can go out and spend money to support their production. Coupled with the fact that um, Spotify did help, help them work with Gimlet Studios, which at the, I think Spotify's relationship with Gimlet has collapsed now as well. But back then, Gimlet was a kind of almost in-house production team. So they did get that support from Spotify as well. Um, so all in all, I would have infinitely preferred it if they could just have owned the failure of Spotify and just taken it on the chin and not kind of tried to pin it on the platform. Um, it sounds like the big spe- the big failure of their Spotify careers was actually not Megan's podcast archetypes, which did it won awards, it did get audience, but actually it was more about the podcast ideas that they were pitching and that got rejected. Um, you know, Harry, I think the really the big failure is that Harry never managed to get a single podcast into production with Spotify, and clearly he had discussions to try to develop podcast ideas because Bill Simmons, executive, you know that was. Who called them grifters, people may remember, that was one of the big things he said. He'd had a Zoom call with Harry where they were trying to work up a podcast idea. Um, and it, clearly that failed. So I think while Megan might wind up taking a lot of the blame, actually it's the, it's the ideas that never made it to production that, re- that represent the failure of this deal. And it's tough. I have sympathy, um, but they just have to own it. You know, it's a tough world and that's the world that everybody else lives in. And if your fame and your opportunity comes from unimaginable privilege, which is what royalty is, then you are automatically getting more of a leg up than an ordinary person. And maybe they, because they're not podcast producers and they're not Netflix producers either, Maybe they didn't totally know what they're doing, but you still can't blame Spotify for that. Ultimately, it is your job to try to know what you're doing or hire somebody who can tell you what to do. Um, And to not be able to acknowledge that failure looks weak because the confident person can own their mistakes, knowing that they're not going to be destroyed by those mistakes. And the confident person can take it on the chin themselves rather than trying to bat the criticism onto a media partner, I think it's a bad idea to show potential future media partners that that is how you see things. And that is it for this week's episode of The Royal Report. Please be sure to join me every week, except for next week when I'm away, um, but otherwise every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thank you for listening and a curtsy to you all.